I'd never even made that difference between female-led and being a woman in business. But I can't speak to Australia or other parts of the world, but I know that here in the US, for example, only 8% of venture capital goes to female-led startup teams, only 1% to African-American women. And that in itself is a problem. Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Hello and welcome, amazing people. It's so wonderful to have you all here as part of today's sold-out first impact gathering, Why Female-Led is Different. This is a webinar series that's brought to you by Mama Got Skills and Impact Boom to facilitate candid conversations with purpose-led women. So we would like to start by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land that we're gathering on today. In Brisbane, that's the Turrbal and Yagara people. We recognize that these have always been places of learning, teaching and sharing, and we pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. My name is Carly Dole and I'm the founder of Mama Got Skills, an impact-led initiative that works to provide creative outlets to address postnatal anxiety and depression. Along with that, I teach the arts at a primary school here in Brisbane and do some freelance work with Impact Boom around mentoring and communications. I am so, so honored to be joined by these four strong impact-led women on our panel today. Lara, Stacy, Elise, and Annika, who's dialing in from the US. Thank you so much for joining us today. So why are we here? Well, for me, I've been on a journey since the birth of my son to understand how women work, juggle, balance, thrive, survive in life and work. Since beginning Mama Got Skills, I keep hearing that women just aren't feeling empowered enough to go back to work, to change career, to speak up, or just get what they deserve in the workplace. And so this brings me to the conversation that I want to have with the panelists, but also with all of you. Because if you're here, you feel that this is indeed a worthy topic. Particularly now when we're entering into a pink recession, in that women are losing more jobs in the workplace than they represent overall. So today we're going to start with a 40 minute panel conversation and I would kindly ask that you leave your videos and sound off during this time. This will be followed by 20 minutes of Q&A where you can speak to the panelists. Throughout today's webinar, we will open up the chat bar and invite you to leave questions and your own comments around the topic. So let's introduce our panelists now so they can speak to us more about why female led is different. So we'll start with Lara. Lara Carton is the Associate Vice-Chancellor of the Victorian Region and Director of Social Innovation at CQ University Australia. Lara develops social innovation strategy for the university and works closely with local and state governments as well as relevant stakeholders to create a vibrant Melbourne campus and regional education delivery. Welcome Lara, it's really great to have you here. Thanks so much, lovely to see you Carly. Annika. Annika Horn has been working in social innovation for many years. As founder of Social Venturers, Annika supports impact-led entrepreneurs with resources, insight, and a strong community network. 
Annika is also responsible for many other purpose-driven initiatives and has developed a female entrepreneur convention called RebelCon in the US. And we're really excited and grateful you could join us, Annika. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Elise. Elise Stevenson is the co-founder of a social enterprise design and strategy studio, The Social Good Outpost, which strives to use the power of graphic and web design to create community of change. Elise Stevenson is an award-winning social entrepreneur and researcher from the Griffith University in Brisbane. And she's also a recognized expert on gender equality and women's leadership in international affairs. Elise, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to being here. Awesome. And Stacy, Stacy Ross is the CEO at the Center for Women and Co, a not-for-profit with a social enterprise arm, her platform. The service works to provide holistic domestic and family violence crisis support, women's health services and empowering programs for families in the Redlands and across Logan in Queensland. Working in the community and alongside her team is her absolute passion and she is totally on purpose. Thanks so much, Stacy. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Super excited. Brilliant. So that's everyone. So I am going to start with you, Elise, and I'll, I'll ask all panelists just to tell us a little bit more about your background from your words. So Elise, can we start with you? Yeah. So a little bit about me, I suppose. I finished my studies about five years ago and I was at that point in time deciding where to go and what to do. And this was when my sister and I actually started Social Good Outpost. And the drive really behind that was that I'd been doing a lot of work in the community. My sister was the design expert who'd been working in the field for you know, the last 10, 15 years. And we felt that no one was really listening to and addressing the needs of people who were trying to make social impact and social change in the community. And also, no one was trying to do it from a kind of feminist standpoint, so a way that kind of respects women, that approaches them as equals, that values their knowledge, that works with their contributions, and looks to address some of the inequalities that are, we are experiencing in our world. Brilliant, Elise. We, we predominantly do web and graphic design, but we also do really cool big international events working with Australian government and our region. And also over this time period, I've been doing my PhD, so in women's leadership, and I really find that there's this really great intersection of, well, how do we empower communities? We know that the data says you are able to empower women, you are able to empower and lift up entire communities. So that's really what our work involves. And, and we try to part with, you know, with people and take them through the whole process as partners in that too. I love that, Elise. And you sound so passionate about what you do, which is exactly what we want. Okay, let's hear from you. Lara, can you tell us a little bit more about you and what you're doing? Thanks very much, Carly. I'm in sunny Melbourne at the moment, which is beautiful. I'm Melbourne born and bred, and I live in Melbourne, in Melbourne at the moment with my husband and, and young children. I sort of fell into the things that I'm doing at the moment. A lot of my early career was spent accepting roles that really just appeared in front of me until I really set course and worked in client service roles within design and branding teams, sort of at local government, state government level, and then later went on to lead private agencies around the 20 to $30 million turnover mark. And at some point along the way, I felt that there needed to be a little bit more purpose to my life. I went back and I started a master's degree in my mid-30s in business, which I found to be quite a life-changing experience on many fronts, one of which was it introduced me to my husband. And I gradually gained more confidence in the range of transferable skills that I had 
and over time moved from a marketing consulting type role to work with one of my client companies who was in fact an education provider and that just set me on a, a whole new course and I reflect really strongly on the life-changing power of education and just how satisfying it is to see our students go through that process. And in the last five years at CQU, I've been really fortunate to lead the social innovation strategy and the social innovation team. CQU is, is accredited as Australia's only Ashoku U Changemaker campus. So we feel a really strong commitment to making sure that our students have opportunities to dive deep, to understand the social issues that they care about and how they can individually play a role in bringing about some positive social change. And more recently, we've been focusing on working with the social enterprise sector and introducing social procurement approaches to the university. So we're really working on a whole, whole of university strategy and it's a lot of fun. And there are just so many wonderful people in the sector and particularly some wonderful women. So I'm looking forward to talking to you today. That's awesome. Thank you, Lara. So much knowledge. Daisy, let's hear from you a little bit more about what you're doing. Great. Oh, thank you. Uh, look, I started when I was about 18, 17, 18 with the youth service and fell in love with the community sector and working along young, well, alongside young people. So I've been in the industry for quite some time, in and out when I've had children and, and got back into it through volunteering work and, and so forth. And, and it was my work with young people that I really quickly recognised, you know, they have so much to, <clears throat> so much to give and they, they are the next generation and they are so passionate about change and I really wanted to just work alongside them and help them achieve their goals and and that's where I recognized that I wanted to wherever I was be able to empower people and and help them achieve their goals but also be on purpose and really loving their work so about five six years ago I stepped into working in women's services across Queensland and oversaw a, a local women's health service. And then two years ago, we merged with a larger domestic and family violence service and the Centre for Women was born. So in that time, we've grown immensely. We have just over uh, 55 staff, just around 55 staff now, and we started off about 23. So that was, that's been amazing. And I just have the pleasure of hearing the most amazing stories from the women that we work with and I am completely obsessed with what we do and the, the women's resilience and how they live their lives and they just, they want good things and they deserve good things. So I'm blessed to be able to work alongside the team that work with the women and children and yeah, I could talk about that, <laughs> just that little bit for ages, but I'll stop at that point and that's me. Awesome. Thanks, Stacey. Such powerful work that you're doing. Annika, tell us. All right. I am in such amazing company. I am so thrilled to be here. Thank you. Born and raised in East Germany behind the Iron Curtain back in the day and I was very fortunate to figure out pretty early that I wanted to create some sort of social impact. So I did what you do when you want to change the world when you're 19 years old is I tried everything else first. I worked for nonprofit, international aid, government, media, higher ed, and sort of work my way through the different sectors to really kind of come up empty-handed and feel like none of these are really making the impact that I was looking for to really make a difference. And then came across social entrepreneurship. And very fortunate to do my master's in sustainability science and sort of focus on social entrepreneurship and then end up working with a global accelerator program for social entrepreneurs in Hamburg, Germany. 
and met my now husband, who's American, who whisked me away to the US. And we've been living between America and Canada for the last five years. And I would say as part of that move here to the US, I got really involved with the Kaufman Foundation over here, which is sort of pioneering that idea of ecosystem building, which I'll probably throw that term in again later on. But it's sort of a just a, an approach to think about entrepreneurship that entrepreneurs, especially social entrepreneurs, never succeed in a vacuum. It takes a whole ecosystem of supporters from mentors to co-working spaces to amazing really groups like Impact, Boom and Mama Got Skills to support the entrepreneur along their journey from the very early stages to fundraising. So I am borrowing that philosophy and building upon that in the social enterprise space. So really trying to figure out how do we nurture ecosystems for social change with a focus on entrepreneurship. So what do they need to really succeed? Part of that, back when I was living in a different state in Virginia here, I was very fortunate to do a lot of mentoring and, and the women that came to me for mentoring just kept coming up with the same issues of sort of holding themselves back and, and playing small, not because they didn't have what it takes. They just, there wasn't really a blueprint for how you do this well, be it as an entrepreneur or a corporate professional, nonprofit, it doesn't matter. It was women across the board who had so many questions and thought there was some sort of formula for success if someone could just tell them what that was. And so a friend of mine and I started RebelCon to bring speakers from across the US to our small town well, smallish town, and just bring some of their wisdom and help women figure out what their definition of success is like. And so that was sort of, that was my commitment to helping other women thrive. In, in my work at Social Ventures, I really focus on ecosystem building for social change. That is women and men at the same time. And as Carly said in my introduction, I'm really concerned with how do we help change makers, be it social entrepreneurs themselves, be it people who support social entrepreneurs, how do we help people in the social impact sector lead fulfilling lives without, well, having great careers, making an impact, but not burning out? So that's why I'm here today. Really looking forward to our conversation. Awesome. Thank you so much, Annika. And it's so true, this burnout word, like it's it's a real, why if you're doing good, does it have to come with burnout? I'd, <laughs> I'd love to talk to you more. And actually, so I'm going to pose the first question to you, if I can, Annika. So in your work, what does female-led mean to you then? And how does that differ to simply being a female in business? I thought about this quite a bit because I'd never even made that difference between female-led and being a woman in business. But I can't speak to Australia or other parts of the world, but I know that here in the US, for example, only 8% of venture capital goes to female-led startup teams, only 1% to African-American women. And that in itself is a problem. So if we look at the top 100 venture capital firms, only 7% of them have women on their board. Yeah which is really that is the systemic level of if we're not represented by the institutions that are there to support us and help us move forward, our interests will not be taken seriously, will not be represented. And so I think there's definitely that challenge of just an unequal representation of women and how we run things. I try to be very careful not to be overly prescriptive and say men do this and women do this. I don't want to be too, I don't want to create this dichotomy of us versus them. Mm. But there certainly are, I think, still certain stereotypes and responsibilities that we just feel the tug of maybe being a mom, maybe being a caregiver of some sort, more so in the career field than a lot of the male professionals that I get to interview for social mentors. And that's not to say that men don't take care of their kids and that they don't feel heartache when they're away from their families. They certainly do. 
But we've sort of, all of us have been born into the system where there's a very clear gender role for who does work in the household, in the family, in the career. And I think for women to not only be employed in business, but actually try to take a leadership role, there are a lot of external factors that are systemic that we need to change all of us together. And then there's a lot of stuff going on inside where I feel like we still have to grow into owning that role of being a mother, being a woman, being someone who wants to have a career and define success on her own terms. Oh, the guilt that overruns a woman. Stacey, Lara, did you want to add anything, Elise, to that point? I, I think that, yeah, it, everything that you've said really resonates with what I mean, my own personal experience has been, but what we see internally for our managers and team leaders that are that are working up through the organisation and we deal with that imposter syndrome and do we really deserve to be stepping into that space? And a personal experience that I've had is that I was appointed onto a board and yeah, it, that was one of the most, it was a really big board. It, it, the, the men on the board are really lovely men and, and I agree, I really don't like to talk about men, women versus us and so forth because my experience coming into the women's sector is that there is a lot of history that I want to respect and acknowledge and really am grateful for what has been achieved in the years before us, but also acknowledge what is still there and those barriers. And for me, walking into that boardroom, the first time I walked into that boardroom, there were six men in suits, two women that were really, really fierce in the way that they presented. And I walked in and just went, oh, I am I am not supposed to be here, but I went and I challenged myself every month. I never said a word, like I barely said a word the first few months that I was there because I was so scared I was going to say something wrong. But it just that whole, you know, the imposter syndrome that we take on as women. And I try a lot of the time when I'm talking to my team and, and so forth, just around that empowering that they deserve to be there. We deserve a space at that table. And, and I've definitely talked myself into that at the board level and a couple of years down the track I'm very confident in that space and I'm so glad that I pushed myself and made some really great changes because of my lens that I bring to that space versus the historical stuff that's been there so yeah. anyway rabbiting on but no, yeah no, that's that's good and I think it's like unless we're fierce do we deserve to be there? There's, there's that yeah. real feeling of like you either have to like own it and be like that kind of yeah. masculine or you question yourself. And yeah, I, yeah. I see it a lot. So if, if I move on, because this kind of links, right, there's some pretty blatant research that's coming out in reports like Advancing Public Policy for High Growth Female and Social Entrepreneurs that tells us that women just aren't leveling up in the business world. And the recurring phrase, and I hate this, is lower confidence. Women have lower confidence. So Lara, I'm going to throw this one to you because I'm wondering how or if this resonates with you and what advice you would give to build confidence if it is such an issue. I think that's a, a fabulous question and I I think it's obvious just from listening to the panel that we've all been debating this men versus women, the gender roles, how much is true, how much is self-belief or, or belief that we've had presented to us about the differences between men and women. 
But I think this issue of confidence is a big one. And I can share just before our guests joined us today, we were all sitting here going, oh, I'm a bit nervous. And there's always that that worry, even when we're invited to speak on these issues, are we going to say the right thing? Is that going to sound the way I wanted it to? And I love, Stacey, that you found ways to just kind of front up and find your voice in those environments. So I don't doubt that confidence is an issue, but I do also think That's true of many men in business and the number of men I've spoken to at senior levels who also have imposter syndrome. But I suspect maybe men are less reticent to talk about it Mm -hmm. and maybe women are more confident or more capable of expressing some of that fear. So I don't want to suggest that men don't also have some of those concerns. I guess how to deal with it, though, is the big one, isn't it? And it's really interesting, as a parent of boy-girl twins, I've got a sort of mini case study happening in my house already just around how sort of you you parent different genders and how you try and develop that confidence and hopefully I'm, I'm parenting a pretty feisty little girl but also a pretty feisty little boy and so I think parent those those issues are really front and center as well. I guess the issue around how you build confidence is a big one and I was thinking when Stacey was talking about that sense that these women and seemed really fierce and I also know that often I go into situations and I expect people who are successful to be fierce I expect that they will be daunting and that I won't have enough to offer in that environment particularly early in my career and I guess one of the things that I see is a challenge often for younger women or women starting businesses is that confidence to start networking and to bring that group of people. Annika referred to that ecosystem and the supports that we need to help get things off the ground. So how do you develop that confidence to go out and find the right people and ask them for help? And my own experience of that is I, I needed to have a checklist of all of the things I needed to get through in a meeting And also that I needed to know what value I brought to that. And I think the point at which I got really comfortable in saying, I can just go in and have an open and curious conversation about this person and their business and our shared values and maybe some issues that we'd like to progress together, meant that I didn't put a requirement on myself or the meeting to have a very clear end point. I could simply go in and be curious and from there great things could happen. But I was also confident enough to be able to say, you know what, this has been a great meeting. I've really enjoyed meeting with you, but I don't think that there are any immediate opportunities for us to progress together. But can I keep in touch with you in case there are? And then using that as the opportunity six months, 12 months down the track to introduce two other people together and say, hey, I just thought of the two of you and saw some commonality in in what you're trying to do. And can you, can I introduce you so that you can further those things together? And I think that really developing that powerful group of trusted allies and networks around you is really important. I think men have traditionally done it very well through sporting and club type of environments. And I think that that's something that women could particularly spend more time working on. And I'll just comment quickly on one of the pieces of research that talks about women really underselling their capability. And I think it's quite common of women to sort of say, oh, I didn't really contribute that much in that situation, or it was a team team environment, or actually my inner voice is telling me I really didn't do as good a job as I, I should have done. And I think sometimes we again need to surround ourselves by people whose opinion we trust on a range of things 
And when they tell us that we've done something well is actually try and believe that and understand what it was that they saw that we did well and try and tell that little voice in the background to just shut up for a little while so that we can really just sit and think, oh, if that's how other people see me, maybe I have actually progressed and I can trust that I am, I guess, developing it and doing things in a different way. And if all else fails, fake it till you make it because hopefully no one else will know that you're shaking on the inside. <laughs> it's so true, Lara. And, like, I take away from that knowing your values, that is such an important part to having confidence and knowing your worth. So, yeah, thank you. That was really great insight. Interestingly, 68% of successful participants on Impact Boom's accelerator program for the past two years have been female-led. So this signals a competitive edge in the impact-led space. So, Elise, I'm wondering if you can tell us a time that gender has set you apart for positive or negative reasons in your career to date. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I'll get back to, I want to talk more on this confidence thing a little bit later, so I'll return to this. I think to start with with the negative, because it's the thing that's really in our faces, we can't ignore the fact that only 1% of procurement worldwide goes to women-owned businesses. In Australia, it's around 45 to 5% for government and corporate procurement. If you're looking at some of those stats as a baseline thing, you might not realise that you have been looked over for opportunities because you haven't been given those opportunities. So I think there's an element of even if you've been lucky enough to go through your business journey or life perceiving very little gendered challenges, they are absolutely there. And and even if we don't personally experience them, perhaps others of different intersectional identities from different ethnic backgrounds, etc., may be experiencing these issues. So I'd just start with that. And actually, there's some really great statistics out there that it, globally, if women-owned small and medium-sized enterprises received a, the same amount of support that male-owned small and medium-sized enterprises received, it would boost the global economy by $5 trillion. And there's, there's just so much there about how much women's businesses are underfunded. So there's a million things on that side. But on the positive side, gender has been really powerful for a number of things that we do in our work. And there's kind of two examples that I would give. Firstly, as we partnered up a few years ago and we continue this partnership with a national nonprofit called Global Sisters. I'm sure many of you would know of it here in Australia. And through that program, we basically created a design incubator for women who were wanting to start their own businesses. You know, they'd gone through this process. They were already ready to go and ready to launch. But for us, the really critical thing that we see is that you can have all the resources, you can have the products, the services, you can know what you're saying, how to say it. Yet if you don't have a basic thing like a website or a logo or anything visual, no one knows that you exist. You are not competitive. You can't communicate with people. Being able to go out there in the world and have confidence and actually say, yeah, this is my product. This is who we are. That's a really big part of what we did. And being women, being able to connect with these women from very diverse backgrounds was absolutely foundational. And and I, I don't think we could have done it if we were not young women leading this charge. And the second thing, and and I think this is a really interesting thing that I'd encourage you to seek out in all kinds of businesses that you might be involved in or engaged with, is that one of our biggest clients is Federal Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. And we're very lucky they've got some 
absolutely wonderful mandates around procurement and also when Australia's out there in the world, we've got really great gender equality policies. So you might not realise But, for instance, in Australia's overseas and international aid, we've got a requirement that 80% of our projects must have a gendered focus of some kind. So if you're looking at stuff like that, that's actually a really big opportunity for women-owned business. And in the last six months of last year, we actually partnered up with Impact Boomers, our media partners, but we went and worked with the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade over across Southeast Asia, and we ran, I think, 49 events with just over 3,000 people on everything from communication to design to social enterprise, social impact, gender equality. How do we bring people together and communities together to create change? And again, I don't know that we could have done that, and I don't think we could have reached the same communities if we weren't who we were. And and one example I'll use is when we were in Brunei, they've got death penalty for homosexual Acts, which was introduced early last year, the proud gay woman going over there and running these workshops on gender equality and social enterprise and all of the rest, I just would not have been able to connect with the same group of people who actually really, we both benefited from this interaction and collaboration. And so I think that's a really special thing too. Before I forget, I want to mention on this thing about confidence though, and that's that I just, I, I think it's, forgive my language, but I think it's been ridiculous sometimes that we have to concentrate so much on women's confidence because actually the issues are structural inequalities in our world and the more that we focus on lack of confidence the more we focus on the individual and unfortunately the individual that kind of means that well it's my fault if I don't succeed that's actually not true if we go out there and we look at the statistics and the research in the world the opportunities and barriers for an indigenous woman in australia versus a white woman in urban sydney versus a lgbti woman in the pacific islands versus whatever they're all so so different when we don't all have equal opportunities and we don't all have equal barriers and so to me it's much more useful to say rather than do you have enough confidence how can we boost your confidence it's how can we actually create spaces for those respecting your myriad kind of backgrounds your myriad levels of confidence exactly whom you are how can we just respect that as it is and give open the spaces that have historically been closed to the group that would also be my my thoughts on it uh elise that is exactly what i'm wanting to get to so thank you i think we're all nodding our heads like vigorously like yes thank you so much i know we we want to get to the q a but i want to stacy i want to finish because everyone's kind of had a little feature when we talk about being impact led do you Mm. see this as having a gender so i've we've just talked about how potentially there's an edge in this space for women but do you think women are still up against those same patriarchal business barriers and Elise alluded to this and if so how can we as women challenge those that is a big question (laughs) that's a massive question look I think in terms of the first bit of this around the the gender component my personal experience is that I, I work alongside men who are driving impact organisations. So I personally have not seen that in the entrepreneurial and impact-led side of what we do. And I also work in the community sector where there is a rich group of men that work in this space as well. And 
we, we're done with talking about that. We, we just want to get on with the work and, and really drive it. So whilst we're called the Centre for Women and Co, and COBIT is for the men that we work with and have a part of our team and the children that are coming through our services and so forth. And please, Carly, can you please just sort of backtrack to the question again? <laughs> yeah, I definitely can. It was it was big. Yes. I yeah. guess basically you you're saying that we're not necessarily still up against the same barriers. So maybe if I rephrase it, like how do you see us moving forward? And maybe that's a nice way to end for for everyone on the panel. I'll ask you each. How do you see us yes. moving forward now as female led in business? Well, I think I think for for our service and what we've been, what we've experienced and what we're looking at wanting to achieve is that it, it has historically been very anti-men. I've walked into meetings where I've actually had to walk out because they are so, they've been really aggressive around having men at the table. Now, I know that this is a very, pers- this is a personal feeling and thought around feminism and what needs to happen in this space because historically we've had women run, women led and women founded for women only services. And I guess my take on that and my experience is that we actually need men at the table and we as a service want men at the table because we want to do this work together. We, we are stronger doing this work together and and I guess it's around holding them accountable as well and saying, hey, we're for our service, we see the impact that men have on women in terms of violent relationships and the mental health breakdown and, and everything that comes around that. So for us moving forward, we are very interested and in wanting to step into more of a space around, well, how can we work together to understand what's going on to have less of a negative impact on the women that we are seeing. And we can't do that without them actually being a part of that conversation. So look, I think there is lots and lots of work to be done around the patriarchal issues that we face. And we see and hear that all, all the time. But at the same time, we are very much focused on what can we do differently because we can't keep on going down that road. And I am love working with Tom. And there's so many different men that are about impact and, and having a positive impact on the broader community. So that is sort of my take on that. Thanks, Stacey. It's an unconscious yeah. bias, I think, for men and women now. Like, it's not that men think that they're even working in it. Men, women don't either. It's mm. like, it's how do we shape business now into the yeah. future? Yeah. Annika, final thoughts? Number one on the confidence question, I highly recommend this book, The Confidence Code. Definitely an American perspective. It really drills down into confidence, which sort of goes back to, to what I started with, I think there are structural systemic barriers and then there's individual challenges that some of us have to work on more than others and, and that's totally fine. But in terms of building more confidence, one thing I took away from the book is a part of why confidence can be an issue is we, we are often raised to be good girls. When we enter school, we are, we're just ahead of boys. So we're, we're, we're the ones that are expected to behave, to sit still, to be neat, to be quiet, to sort of keep everybody in check. And I think especially as a, some of us may be raising daughters to hold ourselves accountable. And Lara already touched on that. We do when you have a boy and a girl. And, and do you treat them differently? Because the truth is, we probably were treated differently. So really being mindful of that as we bring up kids and those around to let girls be 
a wild rambunctious because that sort of helps us and, and they go into this in the book but it just helps us fail get up and build more resilience and resilience is what helps us build confidence if that is something that you need or you want for the people you bring up and the other thing is absolutely for women to support each other in ourselves but also for males like daisy said we need everybody at the table to be aware of how hard it can be if you have a child at home but you have to go travel to that conference who can stand up and say we need childcare, or we need to make arrangements so that a working mom is able to attend is able to facilitate a session or whatever that is so really trying to be in i know that's asking a lot but especially for people who haven't been in this situation but trying to be mindful of what comes with being a a parent or a caregiver and trying to accommodate and, and again like elisa really creating space for that to be okay and i think that actually allows us to bring it to bring our whole selves to work to our communities to our neighborhoods and not leave the mom side at home or the caregiver side at home or the dad side at home we should be able to come and bring our whole selves because that's when i think we bring our best selves and that's how you make social impact happen in the long run not just until you have kids or once they're off to school I agree. Bringing our whole self is so important, male and female. Now, we want to continue the conversation, but I'll conclude the panel conversation there. So if we can give our panelists a virtual round of applause, because it's been so amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.